It's right in the middle if you got a paper Bible. And if you, you can switch translation, you got it on a device, we're using CSB, Christian Standard Bible. But I want to start with this. I want you to discuss at your table, what is the American dream? Go. <clears throat> Now I'm on. There we go. Uh, American dream. Just shout it out. What is it? Money. Perspective. Wait, perspective? Can you explain that? Who said? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Not to put you on. Are you cool? We're good? All right. All right. <laughs> Ah, that's, that's good insight. Yep, it's, it's all your perspective on what it is and what it isn't and what you're even expecting. Yeah, perspective. Good, good. What else? Freedom. Happiness, yeah. Freedom? Freedom? Is that what I heard? Yeah, good, good. Family. Yeah. What? Family, Family sure. Comfort. Comfort. Retail. Retail. Prosperity. A home with a white picket fence and one and a half kids, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've heard it described as that, so quoting somebody, I'm sure. Yeah. Any, anyone else? American dream? Sure, satisfaction. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, something like that, <laughs> right? What, what, was, what was the one... Uh, I just put you on. What is the one you said the other day, Zach? I don't remember it either. Do you remember, sir? Get rich or die trying. There we go. Yep, yep, something like that. So everyone's got a little bit different perspective, which is great, Felicity. Great, uh, great uh, perspective on the American dream. Um, but you know, something like pleasure, comfort, control, you know, power, some something along those lines. Um, I've heard messages and even read books that have been entitled something like this, Making War on the American Dream, Christianity, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, and I've always, I, and I get where they're going with it, because there is a lot about it that is straight up sinful. So let's, let's just start there. But I don't know if that's necessarily the right approach. Neither is embracing the American dream wholeheartedly the right approach. See, we live in America. So just sitting here this morning, you're getting a taste of the American dream, quite literally. You're, you're eating donuts around a table on a cold day in a warm room. Like, like in, in a lot of ways, you, we get tastes of it. And so... It's not always evil, right? The American dream isn't always like evils to be condemned, although some parts straight up are. But often they're just undeserved blessings from God that need to be viewed properly and need to be experienced with Jesus instead of apart from Jesus. So in Ecclesiastes, we started this 
last week in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is the writer, and he brings up some sobering realities on life, and in chapter 2 on the American dream. And you might be thinking, why was Solomon's life so eerily similar to America today? You're going to read it and go, whoa, that's, that's a good title because it is the American dream. Um, See, Solomon had anything and everything he wanted. He was the king of Israel. He had vast wisdom, and he had vast opportunities. He had vast riches. He had, he had everything, much like we have everything. You know, even the poorest of us are richer than most of the people in the rest of the world, and that is a fact. So, Solomon brings sobering realities, as he terms it, under the sun to us. And it's like he's, and it's, it's, he's writing as an old man, looking back at his life, that he straight up wasted a lot of it. And we're going to hear about how he wasted a lot of it. And he uses this term that in some translations say meaningless or futile or fleeting. And the Hebrew word is hevel. And this word just means this. It means like I explained last week, and I think this is the best way to look at it. When you go out on a cold day and you exhale, you see your breath, and then you don't the next second. In like a fraction of a second. It's there, it's gone. And so he's looking back, and you know what? I tried it all, and if you leave God out of the picture, it's all pretty meaningless. It's all pretty futile. And the reason he does this is so that he can drive people, as someone pointed out in my connection group this week, uh, we, I just asked, what's the point of Ecclesiastes? And I'll just point him out, it was Robert, great insight, Robert. He said, you know, this is just meant to drive us to Jesus. It's meant to drive us to God. So let's read this with that in mind. So the, let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We'll just start with verses 1 through th- 3. And we're going to see in these verses, it's talking about pleasure, And how it's fleeting. Verse 1. I said to myself, go ahead. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, it's madness. And about pleasure, what does this accomplish? I explored with my mind the pull of wine on my body. My mind still guiding me with wisdom and how to grasp folly until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. So the first sobering reality under the sun that Solomon gives is that pleasure is fleeting. He explored the pleasures of, it says here, laughter, drinking, and pleasures of all kinds in his conclusion. Verse 2, it's madness. He says, what does it accomplish? Now verse 3 is interesting. It's on drinking. Um, And he puts it strangely. He said, my my mind still guiding me with wisdom. So I'm, I'm looking at it going, so was he getting hammered or not? Like, <laughs> you know, like what, what's going on here, right? Um, and it looks like yes and no, just to bring some clarity to what he's talking about. In the, in the first part, he said he was exploring his mind with the pull of wine, but his mind was still guiding him. So commentator Daniel Aiken said it was like he was a wine connoisseur who knew how to pair a fine wine with his main course. So think of it, he had like, probably like, thousands of bottles of wine in his wine cellar and he's like I'm gonna try this one and one ounce of this cost a hundred thousand dollars today you know like he's like it's it's that kind of like 
wine snobbery, alcohol snobbery. So there's, there's that, and he found that to be meaningless. But the second part, in verse 3, if you read, it says, My mind still guiding me with wisdom and how to grasp folly. Well, I think that's talking about him just going and getting wasted. Okay, So Solomon experimented with being an alcohol taster and snob and found that to be hevel or fleeting or pointless. And he experimented with getting completely wasted and found that to be hevel and fleeting. And I'm sure he found it to be destructive to himself and to others around him, as we know all too well happens with the abuse of alcohol. Now, Scripture elsewhere gives us guidelines on drinking, okay? And everyone I talk to has their convictions about what is right and about what is not. That is not the point of Ecclesiastes 2. Therefore, I am not going to make any statements on that this morning, although I would be happy to talk to you about that, about my own convictions and where you land and that sort of thing. The point is that Solomon indulged in many ways in alcohol, in laughter, in pleasure, in lots of different ways, and found it to be fleeting. Here one moment, gone the next. The second sobering reality under the sun we find in verses 4 through 11. And before we read it, I want you to discuss at your table. Because here's the point. The point is that he's saying essentially here that comfort isn't that comfy. So I want you to just first blush. At your table, how have you experienced comfort not being that comfy? Discuss. Scripture now. Ecclesiastes 2, verses 4 through 11. I increased my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. Planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines, the delights of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile in a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Comfort isn't that comfy. So let me just outline all the different comforts he sought out in these verses. The first one, in verses 4 through 7, he sought out comfort in stuff. Houses, gardens, real estate, orchards, servants, livestock, stuff. Then he sought out comfort in money at the beginning of verse 8. He was filthy rich. Listen to this. 1 Kings 10.27. This is during Solomon's reign. King Solomon's reign. It says, The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. That's how filthy rich he was and made his whole city that he lived in. Silver was as common as rocks. 
during his reign. He sought out comfort in money, to say the least. He sought out comfort in entertainment. The end of verse 8, he had female and male singers. Now, remember, they didn't have TVs, okay? So he couldn't go, you know, get a Samsung big screen, 70-inch, and put it on his wall. So next best thing, what, what could they do at that time? Well, live entertainment. Okay, that was, that was their entertainment, live entertainment. So he literally had people, their job was just to entertain him, to sing for him whenever he wanted. And then he sought out comfort in sexual pleasure. Now, tragically, it says at the end of verse 8 that he had many concubines, which was for the sole purpose of his pleasure whenever he wanted. Now, it's important to note that God does not endorse that. This was Solomon living it up in sin. That's really important to point out. He sought out comfort in status, verse 9. He was, it says that, I mean, he was the goat in the world's eyes, the greatest of all time, quite literally. And then comfort, he sought out comfort in overindulgence at the beginning of verse 10. He, he spared no expense. He didn't hold back in any measure. And all of these comforts weren't that comfy to him. Verse 11, he found them to be hevel, to be futile. This is an incredibly important conclusion, verse 11, for us in America today. See, Solomon tried every comfort he could with no limits to his comfort either. And yet, he found it all to be futile, to be not that comfy. We would learn well to take Solomon's advice and learn from his foolish experimenting. That comfort that, that, that you think you need, that, that, that extra whatever that you think you need, actually won't give you what you want, because it always over-promises and under-delivers. And that's what Solomon discovered, that comfort actually isn't that comfy. Third uh, sobering reality under the sun that he gives is that the wise are much like the foolish. Let's go on to verse 12. Then I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly, for what will the king's successor be like? He will do what has already been done, and I realize that there's no advantage to wisdom, that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I also knew that one fate comes to them both. So I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been overly wise? And I said to myself that this is also futile. For just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise, since in the days to come both will be forgotten. How is it that the wise person dies just like the fool? Therefore I hated life, because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me, for everything is futile and a pursuit of the wind. Very positive fellow. But how are the wise much like the foolish? Well, two main ways, and they're, they're in verse 16. He spells them out pretty clearly. They both are quickly forgotten to whether you, you're wise or you're foolish. They're both forgotten, you know, pretty shortly after they die, and they both die inevitably. Wisdom and any power or illusion of power or control that we think we gain here on earth will be taken away from us. We all will die. So 
He'll, we'll come back to this in a second because he says some positive things about wisdom, and we're going to touch on those in a minute. But we just need to note here that he's just saying, hey, here's the sobering reality. The wise are much like the foolish. Number four sobering reality is that work is maddening. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. So <laughs> we can all agree on that. Work is maddening. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 18. I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I, because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise or a fool, yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored at under the sun. When there is a person whose work has done, was, was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and he must give his portion to a person who has not worked for it, this too is futile and a great wrong. For what does a person get with all his work and all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief, and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is futile. How is work maddening? He gives two main ways. It's maddening. First, it's maddening because all of your hard work will be passed on to someone else. And on top of that, you have no idea how they're going to use or misuse the hard work that you put into that. That's verses 18 to 21. But verse 23, he also says it's maddening because it's never done. He says, even at night, his mind does not rest. Anyone who's worked even remotely hard at anything in their life, knows the maddening curse of never quite being done. You get done with work, but you're not done with work. I can't go to sleep because I'm thinking about this. i got to do that. i got to do that. Oh, I didn't take care of that detail. It's just, it's never done, right? There's always something more to be done. It's maddening. But then he switches, he switches tone, okay? And so I want to point out that he, he switches tone in this chapter as he moves on to verses 24 and 25. He's now talking about, he's, he's talking instead of from the past and what he learned, he's talking as an old man going, oh, hey, here's what, here are some realities over the sun, so to speak. Here's some realities of God over us on the same topics. And so he says right away, verses 24 and 25, his points here that pleasure and comfort are both undeserved gifts from God. Verse 24, it says, there, there's nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I've seen that even this is from God's hand because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? So any comfort, any pleasure that you've ever experienced on this earth is a gift from God. See, listen, listen to this well. God is not a cosmic killjoy. Okay, Some people have in their heads a God that goes, you're having fun. You need to stop that right now. Why are you having fun? Okay, No, we do. We get this in our heads. Lots of people envision God that way. They're just going, stop enjoying yourself. What are you doing? But that's not God. He invented pleasure. He invented fun. Which means, in the same token, he knows how it works best. So he set parameters for pleasure. But even his parameters are designed so that we can experience it best. Now, obviously, people distort God's gifts of pleasure in many ways. Right? 
We, I mean, we, we go outside of God's guardrails that he sets up in Scripture that are meant for our good, and we make pleasure itself our God at times in our minds instead of a gift. And there's many, many, many other Scriptures on that. Even Solomon wrote in his other wisdom book in Proverbs about how we can distort God, God's good gifts of pleasure. But that isn't the focus of Ecclesiastes 2. So that's not going to be my focus this morning, but I needed to point that out. But the key to getting over the sun and truly enjoying pleasure and comfort is to recognize before, during, and after whatever you're enjoying that this is a gift from God. Let me give you an example. Um, and if you don't like this type of food, just think of your favorite type of food. So I'll give you the example of a good steak. Now, a good steak is more enjoyable if you treat it as a gift from God, both in preparing it or ordering it, eating it, and then commenting on it afterwards. Otherwise, it quickly turns into a God in my mind, and I eat way too much of it. Or I become overly critical of steak, and I can never quite enjoy it because it's never quite good enough for me either. Both of those things are, are just forgetting the reality that steak and any other pleasure or comfort is a gift from God. So I want you to discuss at your table, what pleasures and or comforts do we often fail to treat as undeserved gifts from God? Discuss. Someone throw out one or two that you mentioned. Job, sure. Time. Cars. Electricity. Rent. Friends. Very good, yeah. yeah. Amen. It's good. It's good. That's a good place to end it. Everyone's going to go to McDonald's today. It's going to be great. So, yes, pleasures and comforts are undeserved gifts from God. Number three, realities over the sun with God over us, keeping him in his proper place, is that wisdom is an undeserved gift from God. So going back to verses 12 through 14, it says, Then I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will this king's successor be like? He will do what has already been done. And I realize that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Here, Solomon is saying that wisdom is not only a gift from God, it gives you an advantage in this life. Just like light gives you an advantage in a dark room to keep you from stumbling, wisdom keeps you on God's path and keeps you... Um, within God's good guardrails. And, and generally speaking, life is better when walking in godly wisdom. But even walking in the light of wisdom is an undeserved gift of God. So wisdom is an undeserved gift from God. Number four, work is an undeserved gift from God. Back to verses 24 and 25. It says, There's nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. There's nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work. And you might think, well, Solomon clearly doesn't have my job and has not met my boss. 
But even having a job and money as a result is an undeserved gift of grace from God. I mean, you don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. Our our sin means we don't deserve anything from God. Yet, if you have a job, God gave that to you. Also, when work is treated as a gift from God, God is your true boss. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. So you can actually enjoy it knowing that your hard work brings God honor and God praise. He's the one, ultimately, who is watching and he is the one who I'm working hard for. So even if I don't care for my boss, even if the job I have, I don't prefer that type of work, I can do it today and I can do it joyfully because I know I'm serving him. And so if you are self-employed or unemployed or a stay-at-home mom or retired. See, you have work that you do every day and any type of work that you do, whether you're getting paid or not, you have an opportunity to bring him praise. And and Colossians 3.23 can really help you in that circumstance because because guess what? The, The tasks you're doing during the day are for the Lord. So we really can bring meaning and life to work. God does it because it's an undeserved gift from Him. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move past the next slide so you can just go to the hope-filled realities under the sun here, I think. Yes, there we go. Um, hope-filled realities under the S-O-N, under Christ. And this is, this is the reality of God with us. So Ecclesiastes points to this. 225, it says, because you can eat, because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? This is a subtle, but yet for us, an obvious reference to Jesus and the hope-filled reality we have under the S-O-N, under Christ. Who can enjoy life apart from Christ? See, when God, when we remember God is with us, we can truly enjoy life. John 15, verse 5, Jesus says it like this, I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. And then, verse 11, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. See, Jesus is offering to give us complete joy straight from him if... We remain or abide in Him. So simply walking with Jesus, trusting Him in a loving relationship with Him, moment by moment, means that we can truly enjoy pleasure, comfort, work, all of the things that Solomon just laid out in Ecclesiastes 2. So pleasure is the most enjoyable while walking with Jesus. Comfort is the most enjoyable while walking with Jesus. And wisdom is the most helpful while walking with Jesus. And work is the most satisfying while walking with Jesus. So I just want to end with, with two important takeaways that I've already said, but I want to I bring it back to the American dream, back to where we started. So two important takeaways regarding the American dream. One, any tastes of the American dream that you experience here are all undeserved gifts from God. Any 
taste of the American dream, any taste of pleasure, comfort, wisdom, work, anything else, is an undeserved blessing from God. You are not entitled to those things. You don't deserve them. You are not promised them. God is not a gumball machine that you pray, God, I really want to get this house, so you better give it to me or else. No, we don't make, make, make threats to God. But sometimes we pray like that. We may not say it like that. No, we're not promised them. Any, anything we get is an undeserved gift from God. 1 Timothy 6.17 says it like this. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. He is the one who provides anything and everything we have that we enjoy. The second important takeaway regarding the American dream. Any taste of the American dream that you experience are the most enjoyable while walking with Jesus. Apart from Christ, they're tasteless. Apart from Christ, they start to become Christ to us. But with Christ, they're sweet morsels. They're sweet foretastes of heaven. So let me end by sharing an embarrassing story. Um, I am a Kansas City Chiefs football fan, as many of you know. And I have been my whole life. And so I went through a lot of years where they didn't win. And now they're winning. Um, so that's an, that's an interesting phenomenon that's happened the last few years. Um, but I was like, you know what? A couple months ago, they won a little game called the Super Bowl again. And I was like, I can't let this turn into gloating. Okay. But they won, they won the Super Bowl. And I was like, ah, I didn't go to the parade. It's only three hours away. I'm going to go to the parade this year. It's going to be huge. It's going to be great. Okay. Went down to the parade. And here's, here's a picture. Okay, so this is great. This is my sister. She lives down in Kansas City. She's actually not into football at all and obliged me and threw on one of my jerseys and went to the parade with me. Um, and uh, this was a gal that we were at, just talking to and got a random picture with. Um, and I, <laughs> you know, my sister and I are pretty social people. And I sent it to my, my family group text thread, and it was, it was a good time because I didn't think of this, but they're like, is that, if you don't know what this is, that's fine. Doesn't matter. But if you do know, you'll find it funny. So they're like, man, you ran into Donna Kelsey, like <laughs> Travis and Jason's mom. And we're like, I'm like, oh yeah, that's her. That was definitely not her. Um, but uh, she kind of looks like her, which is fun. But we went to the parade. Let me get to the point I'm trying to make. Um, you guys, I got there, and here I am. I have my chain. I got my, like, just, it's embarrassing to even put up. Um, I found it to be Hevel. I went there, and, and I about cried, because what I saw was a worship service. But it wasn't a worship service like I've ever been a part of in a terrible way. It was a worship service where everyone was fully engaged, giving their whole heart and whole mind and, and whole soul 
to worship people. And I was disgusted. And I didn't really enjoy my time there. I enjoyed my time connecting with my sister. So that's what I made the focus after that. And I've done, what's, what's interesting is I've done a pretty good job through the last few years, especially as the Chiefs have had success, of tempering my heart and mind. So it's like, I just, I'm not going to let that become an idol. And so the highs and lows, they lose, whatever, I just wasn't as affected. So, and I thought I was doing pretty well until I went there and I went, oh, that's where this leads. And I just saw some people just going crazy, buying their kids. I mean, I know what jerseys cost and all their kids have this stuff. And they're just like freaking out over these players. And I just thought it was so ironic. Their quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, um, was coming by. And of course, that's who you're waiting to see, right? He was, he was on the other side of the bus facing them when he went by and we didn't see him at all. You know, and I kind of laughed at it. I was like, yeah, good. That's what y'all deserve. Like, I got kind of judgmental even, you know. It was just probably not good. There's another sermon for another day. But, um, but here's what I concluded. Okay, I'm not going to stop rooting for the Chiefs. I love watching the football game. But all the frill of it, not impressed with. Don't want any part of it. But Chiefs football is an undeserved blessing from God's hand. And I need to enjoy it as such. And Chiefs football is most enjoyable while walking with Jesus. So I want you to consider today, what is your Chiefs football? What good gift from Jesus have you started to leave him out of, maybe even just a little in your mind and in your heart? And I would just encourage you, like I did that day, repent and enjoy the giver of whatever that is that Chiefs football in your mind and heart. See, most of the time, it's not like, oh, I got to get rid of that. And some people try to do that. It's like, I'm never turning on a Chiefs game again. That's, I, I think that's a terrible approach. It's a good gift from God. Enjoy it. But enjoy it as an undeserved blessing and enjoy it with Him. And how can we do this? You might be thinking of this thing and you're like, oh, it's going to be really hard to kind of detach myself from and... and, and Enjoy with God, enjoy as a gift from Him. Here's how you can do it. With the best gift of all, God Himself. He gave us His Holy Spirit. And so by the Holy Spirit's strength, you really can enjoy whatever you're thinking about right now. Less as a lowercase g, God, and more as a great gift from the God of the universe who loves you more than you can imagine. Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your kindness. And I pray that your kindness would lead us to repentance, that we would repent of those things that have become little G gods in our lives. And I pray, Lord, as we pursue different things, we, our, our hearts inevitably, you know, as as. It's been said that uh, they're idle factories. That's true. Our hearts will just start to latch on to all sorts of things, that you would just help us remember these timeless truths that are found in your word, that anything and everything, Lord, here is a gift from you, and we don't deserve it, and that we would then 
take it to the next step. And thank you that we get to do this because of the person and work of the Holy Spirit, that we then would enjoy it by abiding and remaining and walking with you as we experience it, that thing, Lord. Change our minds, change our hearts. Thank you for your love. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand and worship here.